Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. It is a choice, a decision, really, between votes for everyone who is eligible or violence and attendance at riots. I was there to develop or to deliver an evidence book to separate to two congressional members of my constitutionally elected congressional caucus so that they had the information that they needed to have in the well of the Senate when they went to argue for a question in controversy. Access to voting is not just something we talk about one day a year, but for actually walking the walk and helping ensure that thousands of Arizonans on this National Voter Registration Day are indeed registered to vote. Kelly spent about $4.8 million in broadcasting, and about $2 million of that came from Kelly's campaign directly and 2.7 from outside groups. Masters was only able to spend $1.85 million, all of which came from outside groups. Maybe Adam Silver, the commissioner, looked at it and said, I'm going to stand up here and take a lot of criticism that this isn't harsh enough, but I know what the end result is going to be in a short period of time. I do believe that that is out there. And with me to talk about the Secretary of State debate last night, spending in the U.S. Senate race, and much more, are Marcus Delartino of First Strategic. Hey, Marcus. Good morning. And Congratulations att- on your first show. Oh, thank you very much. And Attorney uh, Tom Ryan. Tom, good to have you as well. Oh, thank you. And yes, congratulations. Looking forward to this. Many thanks. It is not the same without Steve here, though, I will say. So, Marcus, let's start with the debate last night. And uh, it was 30 minutes, uh, which some people, I think, probably thought was maybe enough, uh, given some of the discussion. Um, was, Was it a surprise with how much of a debate for an election in 2022 was spent talking about an election in 2020? Well, first of all, let me say I'm mad at you for making me watch that because that's 30 <laughs> minutes of my life. I won't get back. Sorry. Um, but, man, is there there is no bigger contrast in candidates than that race alone. I will say that in the entire 30 minutes, unless there was a minute that I tuned out, the entire 30 minutes was taken up with the past election, not talking about reforms we would do moving forward. So. I, you know, I don't think anybody gained a, a thing from from that debate. Um, and certainly I don't think most people were watching. If you were undecided, you probably found a hundred, a thousand other things better to do with your time. Um, but it was a slugfest. There is no doubt about it. I was amazed at at their decorum. I mean, I really went into this thinking we might see a fist fight, and they they addressed each other somewhat respectfully, even though they they may have raised their voice a little bit. It was always Mr. Fincham and Mr. Fontes. Uh, and that was somewhat stunning to me, frankly. So is this where we are now that anytime a debate does not devolve into an episode of Jerry Springer, we consider it a win? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, yeah. I, well, that's, I think you're on it. <laughs> well, so Tom, for, for a candidate like Adrian Fontes, how important is it strategically to remind, to Marcus's point, maybe not a ton of people were watching, but for those people who were watching, just keep saying January 6th, January 6th, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, insurrection, insurrection over and over again. Well, I, I actually, I, I do agree with Marcus that it was, it was surprisingly um, respectful with each other. What, what I disagree with is I do think there were things that we learned from that. And um, for example, um, you know, uh, Ted Simmons asked some very straightforward questions about January 6th to Fincham, and he refused to answer them. His, his comment that I was delivering a book of evidence, uh, 
to the well of the Senate, dude, you, that is not how or where or when you would deliver this book of evidence. You know, he admitted basically on air that he was a mule, uh, you know, the thing that he, he criticizes all the time. But, uh, you know, he, he knew he was going to be in for a tough time. That's why he limited the debate to a half hour and then rushed over to Alexi's for a, you know, a little happy hour over to Alexi's downtown Phoenix. Hmm. But uh, I, here's what I learned from it. Uh, you know, there is, a, and I think Marcus is correct, there's a, a sincere and obvious uh, difference in style, a contrast in style. And I, I, you know, Fontes is talking about what can we do to make it better. Fincham is, wants to go back and talk about the 2020 election. That's not helpful. Well, Marcus, one thing we did learn was that uh, Mark Fincham had a conversation with DOJ about his uh, his activities uh, leading up to and on January 6th. Is that significant in this race at all or just maybe kind of a, huh, okay? I thought it was significant that he revealed he had been interviewed. Um, And I'm not too sure. Maybe everybody knew that before and I had missed that that point. But it's certainly been a point of contention of whether he was going to get interviewed. Um, And I think we knew he had been subpoenaed. Um, and you know, let's remind everybody, Tom's the real lawyer, uh, on here, so <laughs> I, I will defer, I'll defer to him. Uh, but, uh, I, I think that that was, he cast it, you know, certainly in a positive light that he was uh, a witness, uh, and they were interviewing him as such. I think that there's been a, a whole cast of characters that have been interviewed and subpoenaed by J6 and by DOJ. And I think that that as as people get interviewed, they're throwing other people under the bus. And I think we're seeing a lot of that happen in Arizona, certainly. So Tom, yeah, we're running... as the actual lawyer, like, is this, is this significant? <laughs> well, uh, well, actually, it, yes, it is significant that he got interviewed. Um, and, uh, you know, his, his, his trying to spin it as, well, there's nothing wrong with me being there when the bank robbery is going down and having this book of evidence that, that reminded me of, or made me think of, Hey, there's nothing wrong with me being in a bank with a nylon stocking over my head and like something that looks like a gun in my hand. That, that that's not illegal. <laughs> that's what it came off as. But uh, it is significant because he's running for the job of protecting elections, and here on the most critical time when we were trying to protect our our last general election, he was there on the 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 Capitol steps participating in the January sixth insurrection. So, Marcus, and, yeah, go, sorry, Marcus, go ahead. I was just going to add, uh, kind of going back a little bit, let's talk about why it's significant. And that is because if you look at any poll worth a damn, uh, which, by the way, is getting tougher and tougher to find, um, yeah. that the independents are heavily swayed uh, by January 6th, by, uh, you know, do you believe the Joe Biden one or Donald Trump one? And so Democrats want to stay on that message. Um, and that's why, you know, every time Adrian Fontes had an opportunity to sort of bring it up and pivot back to it, he was. And so the, the challenge for Republicans is going to be turnout. Do they have enough Republicans that can turn out, that can beat back that Democrat turnout and that independents? Because you're going to lose them, those independents to a certain extent, not all of them. Uh, certainly, it's not a, a homogeneous crowd, but you're going to lose a lot of them uh, on that argument alone. Can, can I ask Marcus a quick question on that? Because I think that's a great point. Sure. So Marcus, in the, in the old days, Marcus, uh, you ran to your base on the right or the left if you're a Republican or a Democrat because there was a small independent group. But now that we have a much larger independent group, it's literally a third of the America, Arizona voting populace now. The idea of run to your base and then come back to the center doesn't seem to be so effective anymore. People are much more in tune to how you ran when you were running in the primary. What do you think? 
I think, uh, I mean, great point. I mean, independents are, are exploding in growth while the other parties occasionally, you know, struggle depending on uh, what the dynamic is out there. But it's a legitimate third party. The, the thing about the independents, though, is most people just look at them as one sort of group that is, just doesn't have their mind made up one way or the other. And that's not necessarily true. There's a segment of the independents that actually believe that the Republican Party isn't conservative enough. There right. is a segment of the independents that think the Democratic Party isn't liberal enough. So pinning them down uh, to sort of one message point is, uh, isn't is fair. Um, but in this particular case, there's a significant chunk of those independents that I would categorize as mostly like truly independent, right? Um, right. That, that are having not a great reaction to this, to wanting to debate what happened uh you know, back in 2020. So, um, I, it's obviously, it's going to keep continue to be the focus of that, of the secretary of state's race. It's interesting to see if it makes its way into some of the other statewide races as well. Marcus, let me ask you about, you mentioned undecideds and, and polls and such, and we saw a, a poll that came out this week. And again, polls are snapshots in time and, you know, are not necessarily predictive of what's going to happen, you know, in a month and a half. But one of the things that this poll found uh, on the Secretary of State's race was that uh, Mark Fincham has a, a five-point lead over Adrian Fontes, 40 to 35, but that a quarter of respondents were undecided. Um, at this stage of the game, ballots are going to be getting mailed out not that long from now. What do you make of the fact that 25 percent of voters still don't know which of these candidates they're going to vote for, especially given, as we've talked about, there's a pretty big distinction between these two? Yeah, absolutely. And let me, you know, not to, since you haven't said who put out the poll, I can, I think I'm being generous here. I think there was a hole in the methodology on that poll. And especially when you look at Pima County um, and how they tested uh, that specific geographic area, that leads me to believe that, that those numbers may not be exactly where they think they are. Hmm. Um, and hopefully that was as politically correct as I can get around that one. So anyway, it goes back to my point of don't trust every poll. Um, and to your point, it is a snapshot in time. It's good for about 12 hours or until the news cycle stops. <laughs> the reason the reason that you're seeing independents or sorry, undecided so high is because they they're not up on TV. I mean, there is literally zero, almost zero awareness. And Fontes just had his first ad maybe this week or the week before, right? Yeah, I haven't even I, seen it, so I'm not I, too I sure give what the you, I, I'm going to give you an additional thought and see what you guys think of this. Part of what I think is happening is Secretary of State, uh, Treasurer, things like that in the past have been low-interest races like the Arizona Corporation Commission. This year, for the first time, because we've got an election denier running, all of a sudden it's a lot more high-profile, but people are still reacting as they have in the past that hey, this, I, I don't really understand what this guy does or what this office does. And so they really haven't been able to make up their mind because of that. That's, that's my interpretation of why there's a high number of undecideds, because it's not the same. If you go look at, for example, uh, you know, the Masters-Kelly race, or you go look at the, uh, uh, you know, the Lake and Hobbs race, uh, it, there aren't that many undecideds as there are in the lower races. Well, Tom, how important do you think the, the TV issue is? Mark has talked about how neither of the candidates are really up on TV. And pretty much it seems like you can't turn on the TV without getting some kind of political ad, either from an independent expenditure group or one of the campaigns. Is is that significant in this race? It, it, is, it is significant. Although I will tell you one thing. If you guys remember the Prop 123 
election where uh, the this, the uh, the Chamber of Commerce dumped in like ten million, and the people that were fighting Prop One Two Three had about eight thousand dollars. They ran a very effective social media campaign and almost upended the Prop One Two Three election. That was a very very close vote. Had uh, Michelle Reagan not slow walked the publicity pamphlet, Prop One Two Three may not have passed. So it, it is significant, but there are other ways to do it if you just got to be thinking about them. So it's not enough just to have to watch all the ads. We're going to talk about uh, some ads coming up in just a moment. Uh, this is the Friday Newscap here on KJZZ. Tom Ryan and Marcus Delartino of First Strategic. Marcus, we found out this week that a super PAC aligned with Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has canceled a little more than $9 million worth of ads for uh, Blake Masters, the GOP Senate candidate, uh, coming up in the next uh, in the next few weeks here. The thinking, though, is that other outside groups are going to step in and that the McConnell-aligned PAC money is maybe better spent elsewhere. Is that is that a plausible explanation for what's happening? Yeah, I, th- I think it is plausible, but let's remind everybody this telenovela soap opera that's been going on. And that is, you know, Peter Thiel financed Blake Masters' primary campaign and spent millions on his behalf to get him elected in the primary. So, you know, Mitch McConnell goes to Peter Thiel and says, look, you know, the, the, the dynamics have changed in this race. I'm going to have to spend money in some places defending, uh, keeping incumbents in place. I could use some help. Can you pick up the tab for the general election for Blake Masters in the race in Ohio, which was a similar situation to Arizona? For, J.D. Vance for Peter, there, yeah. For Peter Thiel. And Peter Thiel says, no, you know, it's your responsibility. Uh, and I was never in it for the general election. And so the showdown uh, began to happen between the two of them. And it was always thought that, you know, hey, at some point, probably Teal will blink because why would you waste millions of dollars you spend on these guys in a primary election and not, not help them out in the general? Um, and he didn't blink. Uh, so so there's, uh, you know, up there is, there's, everybody knows there's plenty of special interest money to go around. Uh, you know, to the point where sometimes candidates aren't even in charge of their own campaigns anymore or their own messaging. Uh, but that's that's the hope that some of these uh, Republican organizations that aren't the NRSC uh, come in and are able to, to fund a campaign. My concern has always been TV inventory. And we are, you know, ballots are about to hit your mailbox here. Right. Folks. And there isn't much TV inventory left. Um, so the cost per, per commercial goes dramatically up. Uh, for these guys who, if somebody's going to come in and pay it, they're not going to get as much good stuff as they would have if they were buying up six months ago. Well, and Tom, with Mark Kelly, we hear constantly how he raises presidential levels of money. Clearly, his campaign is not hurting for cash. Clearly, there are outside groups that are supporting him. We have heard that Blake Masters uh, his campaign's fundraising is maybe not where some folks would want it to be, but that there are certainly outside groups that will spend big money uh, to to help him there. Do you see the the uh, a disparity in money between sort of the two sides here? If you know when you add everything up, and does that matter? Oh, it, oh yes, there is a disparity, and oh yes, it does matter. Before we vote with our ballots, we vote with our dollars. And Mitch McConnell uh, is one of the most shrewd politicians that have ever existed in America. Uh, he knows the power of money, and he knows what to do with it and what not to do with it. And him pulling the money out of uh, Blake Masters, $9 million is a huge chunk of change. 
just while we're getting ready to, to drop ballots on everybody. That's a, that's a clear-cut statement from McConnell. It's a waste of time and money. Peter Thiel is not going to come back in and, and put that kind of money up. Now, what he's promised to do is go out and do fundraising. He's going to hold a fundraiser for him. But uh, it's going to be too little too late. He could raise $10 million today, but it, it, like Marcus was saying, the cost goes up for advertising. And by the way, a lot of it's already been purchased. So how are you going to get it in there? So at this point, uh, you know, whatever money uh, you know, Blake raises now is not going to be very effective to help him. Mark Kelly is a, a good centrist. He's been very smart about it. Um, you know, I know they try and paint him as this kind of crazy leftist liberal. He's not. He's a, he is a, a left of center guy, but mostly I'd even say center right uh, many times. And he's, he's played it way smarter than Kirsten Cinema has. And uh, as a result, he, he has, his ads are good. He comes across as likable. He's getting lots of Republicans like uh, John Giles and uh, others to, to come out and support him. He's reaching across the aisle. Arizona likes that. And I think, uh, I, I think that's the message that's out there. And Blake doesn't have an answer to it at this point. Marcus, do, does Masters have the, the money? And I think maybe to your point earlier about TV inventory, there are only so many commercials to go around. Does he have the time and the money and the availability to get his message out and, you know, and, and, and overtake Kelly? Uh, <laughs> I, you know, ballots are once again about <laughs> to hit mailboxes. I, here's what is uh, just mind wracking for me. And that is there was one issue for every campaign that's ever been invented. Your number one issue from the day one is how am I going to be able to raise the amount of money I need to win? That is your first thing you sit down and figure out, right? That was never supposed to be an issue in this race. It was going to be about pure message because to Tom's point, Mark Kelly is an unbelievably fantastic fundraiser, but Blake Masters was unbelievably financed, right? So money was never supposed to be an issue. And here we are at the last minute of the last hour having to figure out where the money's coming from. It's not a great place to be. Um, and I think when you look at that race, you'll see the undecideds are really small uh, mm-hmm. compared yeah. to compared to these down ballot races. So, so you really have to you don't have to conduct a good campaign at that point. You have to conduct a flawless campaign because you have to pick up some distance. And I, um, you know, with ballots coming out uh, next week or a little bit more than next week, a little more than that, yeah. Um, yeah, we're running we're running out of time. And what we're seeing from the voters is on these top ticket races, our mind is made up and we can't wait to get our ballot in, uh, you know, and just get it, just get done with it. And so that doesn't that doesn't benefit a challenger at this at this stage in the game. So, Marcus, you know, yeah, I, go ahead, Tom. One thing I, I think that that um, Blake Ma- that uh, Kelly has done that Blake Masters will never be able to do. The Kelly campaign went back and found all these great video clips of uh, Blake Ma- or uh, Blake saying all sorts of weird, wacko things about the Unabomber and you know American military generals and things like that. There is nothing like that that exists out there for Mark Kelly. Zero, zilcho, and that contrast alone has been devastating to uh, Blake. 
Marcus, let me ask you about another race in which money seemingly is a factor. Uh, This week, the Cook Political Report uh, reclassified the first congressional district. And for those who are not totally up on the new district numbers after redistricting, that is sort of the Scottsdale, Central Phoenix. It's it's the David Schweikert versus Jevin Hodge race. And to kind of paraphrase Mark Twain, I feel like the, you know, the political demise of David Schweikert has been greatly exaggerated over the years. This has been seen by Democrats. His seat has been seen by Democrats over the years as a potential pickup. To call it a a toss up now seems like it really could go either way. I'm wondering if you see it that way. I, you know, that's funny that you bring that up because I've been looking at that race um, and most people are not focused on it. Right. Um, and initially I thought, let's, let's figure out if there's, you know, a possibility that that race flips. And ultimately I don't think so, but if it does, if it does, Katie bar the door, um, it's a, it's a banner. It, it will not be a, a, a blue, uh, sort of small wave. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the word for a small wave, but it'll be, it'll be almost a, almost a tsunami. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that that Shea corridor, in that district, because we're talking about sort of the North Scottsdale, Paradise Valley, North Phoenix area. Right. I think that corridor that runs, you know, from North Scottsdale all the way into Fountain Hills and up a little bit uh, will be, you know, sort of the saving grace, if you will. I and I also think that that probably there could have been a better financed Democratic candidate. If I were to worry, um, I would I would the dynamics would be a little different on the on the Democratic side. But I think Schweikert ultimately will will pull that off. Tom, what do you think? A true toss up here or maybe maybe not? Uh, so it's, much? it's a true toss up. Uh, Schweikert has been the Teflon uh, Don there in that district. But uh, Hodges is running a good race at this point. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be anxious to see that's not going to be one decided on election night. I think that one will be that might take a week and a week and a half or two to finally figure it out. We'll see. So you're, you're suggesting, Tom, that we're all going to have to keep keep refreshing the Secretary of State's <laughs> website for days and days and days to get those updated numbers again? Yeah, no, I you're pretending we weren't going to do that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus, that, nice you try. said the quiet part out loud. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> all right. So, guys, we have just a, a couple minutes left here, and I want to ask you about uh, one of the other big, not super political stories, uh, but we found out this week that uh, Robert Sarver is going to be selling the Suns and Mercury. And I assume that at some point we will see the, the Del Artino Ryan group emerge as a, a potential <laughs> oh, yeah, buyer, yeah, sure. since both of you yeah. have billions of dollars burning holes in your pockets. Um, but I want to ask you, each of you, from a political standpoint, we saw uh, one the, when the report came out uh, from the NBA and Sarver was handed uh, his one-year suspension and the fine, we saw a few days later some members of the Phoenix City Council, Mayor Kate Gayu, come out with some pretty harsh things, although it was a few days after the fact. Marcus, politically, does this matter at all to, to city officials, the fact that this issue has kind of been taken out of their hands at this point? Ah, no, I, I think, you know, it may play to their base. Um, but, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, Phoenix voters care about cops. They want to make sure somebody shows up to put that put out their house fire, that their trash gets picked up and the water runs. Um, and so, you know, on something like that, I think it's sort of quickly dismissed about any city involvement sort of to that to that issue. Right. I, I agree with that. I, I just people don't connect the city of Phoenix government with the Suns and the Mercury, but they do want to see us win again. And uh, the, the both teams are very beloved. So I'm 
here's my dream team to come in and purchase the Suns and the Mercury. It's going to be Steve Kerr, Steve Nash with a billion bucks behind them, and they're going to make us a great set of teams. Again. Wow. Now, that Steve Kerr would Tom have to resign, up a good wouldn't point. He? Wouldn't Steve, Steve Kerr would have to stop coaching the Warriors if he's going to own the Suns, wouldn't he? Double bonus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think I think these guys should make sure it's somebody's got an Arizona connection. Looking at some of these yes. names, it's a yeah. little. Uh, it makes me a little. I thrown up a little bit in the back of my throat. Um, I, yep. You know, you want somebody who believes in the community, who believes in Phoenix and go. Arizona. Right. Maybe Larry I, Fitzgerald, I, part of the, part of that group, or something like that. I wouldn't mind. Okay. I don't know if you. Yeah. Well, he certainly made he certainly made a good amount of money over his career, but not to delve into his finances. All right, yeah. to, <laughs> did he save it? Is the question. That is the question. All right, we'll have to leave it there. Marcus Delartino of First Strategic. Marcus, thanks a lot. Thank you. Congrats again. Thank you, and uh, Attorney Tom Ryan. Tom, good to have you as well. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Take care. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.